0: Hello and welcome for the last time to Public Address Radio on Radio Live. I'm Russell Brown. And I'm Damien Christie. We've been funded to make this show by New Zealand on the air for the last five years, but that funding has sadly ended and this is the final of Public Address Radio. It's been lots of fun and quite a bit of work and it would be fair to say we've got a whole lot better at it as we've gone along. The philosophy of this show was to present a weekly mix of science, the arts, media, and music, and we've selected a mix of our interviews and stories to reflect that. But first, it's time to hear from a man who's been here almost since the beginning, our pundit and yours, Craig Ranapier. Good evening, faithful listeners. This is the
1: 200th and final episode of Public Address Radio, and for 195 of them, I've been allowed to talk to myself in a windowless room like a crazy person. And get paid for it. Thank you, New Zealand On Air. The human race is addicted to round numbers. We wax lyrical and sentimental when anniversaries ending in zero come around. And being a good Tory, why should I break with tradition? First, I'd like to thank Russell Brown, who decided to give me this slot four and a half years ago. Despite the years I'd spent being spectacularly rude to him on the internet, nor was he convinced by my protestations that I'd not only have a face for radio, but a voice for mime. The brief was simple. Don't swear too much. Don't get anyone sued, done for contempt of court, or summoned before the Broadcasting Standards Authority. And try being the token Tory without being a complete ass in the zoo of life. It's up to you to decide how well I've done any or all of the above, but it has been a wonderful ride, and there are too many people who deserve thanks. First, everyone at the download Concept, especially producers Glennis Bartlam and Tom Watts, they have my gratitude for making me sound much less ridiculous than nature intended. Russell, Damien Christie, Simon Pound, and everyone else who has contributed to the show. They brilliantly set a high standard which I conscientiously tried to lower. I've tackled subjects high and low, from Helen Clark and John Key's awful taste in movies to the tragic events of Pike River and Christchurch. But I could always rely on the media-political complex to be a well of unresisting imbecility that never ran dry. Thanks, guys. But most of all, gentle listeners, I wish to thank you, and sign off with an earnest request. I've been right and wrong and on occasion not so much miss the point as actively hidden from it. I've changed my mind, sometimes in the same breath. But I hope one thing has remained constant, the only thing I'm certain of. Expect nothing from this world and it will seldom disappoint. But sometimes, just sometimes, it will pleasantly surprise with small acts of wisdom compassion and sheer human decency in the face of terrible adversity. There's a place for tears and rage, but I hope more often I've lived up to this truth. When the emperor has no clothes, don't just point out his indecent exposure and faint, laugh at his tiny willy and pimply butt. Because the tyrants, bullies, and pompous nitwits may always be with us, but as long as we can see them clearly, and show them the disrespect they richly deserve, their victory will be held off for another day. And never ever lose the gift of laughing at yourself, because if you're not being a fool at least once a day, you're just not doing it right. I know this because, while some of you shouldn't be allowed online without adult supervision, the overwhelming majority of your feedback has been smart, funny, thoughtful, and sometimes even moving. You have my thanks, and my hope that I've repaid the courtesy in some small measure.
0: Good night, and good luck one and all. Craig run up here, there. Thanks, Craig. Time now to serve up a sonic smorgasbord of the best of the five years of Public Address Radio. Damien, you're on. So first up, we look at one of
2: the highlights, not just of public address radio, but probably of my life. It was a trip in 2007 to Afghanistan where Timaru's Tony Woods was building a wind farm to help power a village in the remote Panjshir Valley. A wind farm might sound like a good thing to do for the environment, but here in Afghanistan it's not about being green. Small, sustainable generation is the only real option.
3: You know, it's something like 90% of Afghanistan, it's actually slightly more than that, um, don't have access to the national grid. Um, So... You know, we can build as many grid-connected power stations or wind farms as you like, but if 90% of the population aren't anywhere near a power pole, it's you know, it's missing a, a lot of the population. So, um, so yeah, by default, you're down to looking at the, the best way to deliver small amounts of electricity in isolated areas. And you know, typically when the price of oil was so cheap, that that was diesel. Um, you know, with oil nudging 100 bucks a barrel. Um, that's not looking as attractive as it was so this country has so many issues to deal with um, that worrying about uh, global air quality or the Kyoto protocol is pretty it's a long way down the, the list of priorities that's true however you know look if we look out the car window now you can hardly see the hills around us because the air quality is so bad um, so you know the environmental issues here are certainly not to be disputed but You know, if you can hardly afford to feed your kids, um, you're not going to sign up to a green power scheme where you pay a higher price for your power because it's wind power, if if you know what I mean. So it's not saying that we ignore the environmental uh, impact, but um, you've got to be pragmatic, basically.
2: Progress on the construction site, thousands of feet above the punchier valley floor, has been slow. A broken winch here, equipment delays there, Tony has decided to
3: move things along a bit. We're we're getting behind in our schedule so um, what we're going to do is hire a crane for a day and rather than assembling the, the, the tower sections vertically one, one at a time we're just going to bolt them all together on the ground, in the ground and then get a, um, a crane to come along and pick them up and stand it up so we'll get at least two thirds of of the of the tower just stood up by the crane, and then we'll just have to climb up and stack the the rest of the sections manually. But at night, the engineers
2: sit with us, playing cards, telling jokes, and when none of their more devout friends are watching, drinking vodka. In the morning, we all wake with hangovers to a breakfast of dry naan bread. Worst news: Tony's shortcut is starting to look like a bad move. You're um waiting on a
1: crane.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the crane that was due to be here an hour ago isn't, well, it's halfway here, so um, it'll turn up just on dark, I'd expect. (laughs) But at least we'll get started first thing in the morning. Um, We may get a little bit of work done this afternoon, I hope. But, yeah, I mean, like, with the first few flakes of snow coming down this afternoon, I mean, you know, we might wake up tomorrow morning to a foot of snow, who knows? So we're pretty motivated to get the crane up on site.
2: The crane is three metres shorter than the driver promised and is no use. But in Afghanistan, he'll still be paid something for just turning up. The alternative is having the police brought in. Not ideal for anyone. The snow falls heavily overnight, and the next morning, more than a foot covers the site. The wind farm must be put on hold until the snow melts in spring, when Tony will
0: return to bring power to the Panjshir. We've always been full of local pride here at Public Address Radio, and naturally we were keen to help marine biologist Dr Michelle Kelly celebrate when a carnivorous sponge discovered in the New Zealand waters was selected as a finalist in the International Top Ten Species of the Year competition. Big ups to Chondrocladia tubiformis.
4: It's quite exciting. It's, um, I guess, a little surprising. You know, we were, we, well, to be perfectly honest, I didn't even know the Top Ten competition was um, on Quite exciting, uh, really. Uh, the,
0: the competition itself is, is intended to give science a bit more visibility, isn't it? To make yeah, it a bit more fun. Definitely. You know, and media. in fact,
4: the, if you were to go to the website, you'd see that the animals were very unusual. They've got some sort of unusual characteristics that make them quite interesting and neat. Hmm. And
0: now, oh, sorry. Your one um, has been named Condrocladia tubiformis. Did you even for a moment think about naming it after yourself?
4: <laughs> well, ethically, we can't really do that. And, I mean, we can name it after colleagues or say, for example, say you found a sponge and you bought it to me and I said I could name it after you. Well, that would be fine. But I can't name it after myself because it's a little...
2: Could you have some sort of quid pro quo deal going then where you name one of yours after a colleague and, and they name one of theirs after you? and you sort of Well, you
4: could, but
0: we're we a really modest group, us scientists. <laughs> um, I want to ask how you found it, because it's very small. It's, it's maybe one one to two centimetres across. The
4: kiss of death sponge came from the Macquarie Ridge, and that was actually a joint Australian voyage. Um, what happens is all of these amazing animals are brought back to Wellington, and then the sponges are sent to me. Because I identify sponges, that's my profession. And so what I do is, um, uh, in fact, these sponges were found several years ago. But because I'm so busy, I didn't actually get to identify them till just this year.
2: I've gone to visit um, Niwa down in Wellington (coughs) before and I'm told that there are um, hundreds of, uh, if not thousands, of of specimens that are yet to be identified, yet to be classified, could quite possibly be unique new species. Is that just how it is?
4: It's a big problem for sponges because, well, maybe they don't see it as a problem, but we (laughs) see it as a problem because I'm literally the only professional sponge taxonomist in New Zealand now. Uh, There's probably 200 in the world so you can see that there's a, a real, it's a real problem and that there are, for example, I have only one person who's vaguely interested in following on from me. So one of the problems is that we, we have only touched the tip of the iceberg as far as inventorying the diversity of sponges. But um, over the past 20 years, I have worked with a number of um, marine natural products chemists around the world and there has been tremendous economic benefit from some of those sponges that we've worked with. For example, one of the ones I worked with in um, Florida is now in clinical trial for human breast cancer, a treatment of human breast cancer. Yeah, I know, (laughs) it's quite crazy. And in fact, the compound is derived from a fungus that lives inside the sponge at great depth. These things are only from sort of below 100 metres.
2: After the break, more of the best of five years of Public Address Radio.